Well, hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Like nine of you are doing good. The rest of you, it's all right. We'll talk later. You need to warm up to me. I'm glad you're here. My name's Joel. I am the family pastor here at One Church, and we are just so grateful, thankful that you've come to join us. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome to One Church. What we're going to do here for the next little bit is I'm going to talk for about 30 minutes, um, take some time, go through God's Word, um, and apply that into to kind of where we're at in, in a teaching series that we're in, um, but also just hopefully encourage your hearts today. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, in just a little while, we're going to make you stand up. You're going to have to raise your hand, share who you are, where you're from, what you do. Um, and then we're going to fill out a note for us, and we're going to come to your house. We're going to totally invade. No, we're not going to do any of that. We're just glad you're here. Um, be comfortable. Be relaxed. Just know that this is kind of how we, we do our worship and, and do our teaching time. Um, if you did check a child in, though, and there, there may be an issue after a while, that their number that was given to you at our check-in center will show up on any of the screens here. And so if you see that number pop up, it's usually not a big deal, like maybe, you know, missing like a passy, an arm is severed, nothing, nothing real major, all right? Um, and as you saw from the, the, the video here just a second ago, we, we use uh, the YouVersion app. Um, and you can go and, and download that, and, and we have the scripture in there, notes. There's actually some kind of clicks and resources. You can send prayer requests. Um, if you don't have that, you can download that. If you don't have a smartphone, go to www.getasmartphone.com slash what are you waiting for, all right? So you can go there and get yourself a phone so you can kind of roll along with us. Um, We've been spending a, uh, the last few weeks, Pastor Chris, um, who usually does the, the primary teaching up here, he's been talking about this concept of brand and what it means to have the brand of Christianity on us. And, and, and Chris and our, our team's kind of contention is that, that we spend a lot of time in our life kind of going, you know, how do I become a Christian? What, is it, what do I do now that I'm a Christian? And the reality is, is that, that in, in the Bible... The New Testament specifically, the word Christian's only used a handful of times. And most of the time that it's used, it's actually used from, from people describing Christians. It wasn't Christians themselves going, I'm a Christian. It's actually other people going, those are Christians. That's what they do. And so it leads to some confusion. What does it mean to truly have the brand of Christianity? And what we're suggesting is, is that we're not called to be Christians. We're actually called to be disciples. And what does that really mean for us to be a disciple, to be that, that Christ follower, and what that means for our life? And as I've been preparing, I was looking at, at Jesus' disciples, and he had a group of followers, about 300 or so, that were considered disciples, and they followed him. And out of that, that, that group of 300, there was a small group of 12. And, and there, we meet them in the, the, the story of Jesus found in the, the first few books of the New Testament. We see them introduced to us. And it's, it's, it's strange when I was reading it and kind of reviewing because out of nowhere, this man, Jesus, shows up and he goes up to these, to these 12 guys and he says, hey, will, will you maybe follow me? It's kind of a strange idea here because this stranger walks up and he's like, I just met you, and this is crazy, but, but maybe, maybe follow me. And all week long I've been like thinking about that, and I'm like, and there's a song that was like stuck in my head, and I can't, like, I feel stupid even bringing it up because I can't remember this song, and like why I would even mention it now, but like, like I was thinking about this, like. I think we can help. You think, do think you think help. you know the song I'm talking about? I think so. I, th I think we can help, and this is totally unplanned. Unscripted. When you hear it, you'll think it was unplanned, I promise. 
That's it. Yes, that's it. <laughs> I think that's the song, though. I threw my wish in the well. Don't ask me, I'll never tell. I looked to you as it fell, but now you're in my way. I trade my soul for a kiss, pennies and dimes for a kiss. I wasn't looking for this, but now you're in my way. Your stare was holding, ripped jeans, skin was showing, hot night and wind was blowing. Where you think you're going, baby? I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number, so call me maybe, and all the other boys, they try to chase me, so here's my number, so call me maybe, yes, that's it, so what it was like when Jesus went to these apostles, he said, follow me, it's so weird, he just shows up and says this. You took your time with a call. I took no time with a fall. You gave me nothing at all, but still you're in my way. I beg and borrow and steal. Fat foresighted, it is real. I didn't know it would feel, but now you're in my way. Your stare was holding, hot clean skin was showing. Hot night, wind was blowing. Where you think you going, baby? Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's my number, so call me maybe. And all the other boys, they try to chase me. But here's my number, so call me maybe. Before you came into my life, I miss you so bad. I miss you so bad. I miss you so, so bad. Before you came into my life, I miss you so bad. And you should know that I miss you so, so bad. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy, but here's Don't my number. Me. Don't touch me. So call me. And all the other boys, they try to chase me. So here's my number. So call me, maybe. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's my number. So stupid. Joe Reynolds, Josh and the Woodleafs, Josh and the Woodleafs. Josh and the Woodleafs, everybody. So Jesus, he walks up to these guys and he says, follow me. It's crazy. My name's Jesus. Follow me. It's unbelievable. Like I was reading it, I was like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Why Jesus would look at them and say to them, like you've got to understand these guys. These guys were total mismatches and misfits. These guys were passed over and they were passed by. These guys were looked over and they were looked down upon. And Jesus went to them, to each one of them and said, follow me. Be my disciple." Come with me. See, in Jesus' time, for a religious leader to choose his disciples, it was actually something that happened long before Jesus choosing these guys. Every Jewish boy, and Jesus was Jewish, so every Jewish boy spent a a, a small part of their life in their, their Jewish studies. It was like going to school for them, but they went and they studied parts of the Old Testament. They studied the, the history of their people. 
And when they finished, the best and the brightest got chosen by the religious leaders. So these guys are getting out of school at 12 or 13, and they are picked. Like, you're going to have it together. You look really smart and bright. You look like the right person. You've got your act together. Come, you're going to be my disciple. You're going to follow me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to raise you up. Everyone who wasn't chosen found a trade, and they went into work on their own. And they began to, to, to learn something else. They knew enough of the religion, but now their job wasn't going to be religion. Those are for the professional disciples. So when Jesus showed up to pick these guys, these were guys that had not been picked. They had not been chosen to be disciples when they graduated from Jewish school. These guys already had other jobs. They were fishermen. Some of them were in finance. One of them was in medicine. A couple of them were in carpentry. These guys had other jobs. They had other ways of making a living. And Jesus walks into their life, comes up to them and says, you, you're my disciple. I choose you. I pick you. You're the one that I want. He calls them away on life, on mission. They set it down. The, the New Testament says that, they, that some of them who were fishermen, they just left their nets The money collector just got up from the table where he was collecting money and he started to follow Jesus. And he picks this strange assortment of people, of followers, to be his disciples. And I guarantee, I guarantee you that there were some of them in the very first like Jesus disciple staff meeting that were looking around, they're like, how did I get here? Like, me? I don't know if any of you know this, but, but I serve part-time. I'm a chaplain in the, in the Army National Guard. So I, I, every, that's why I'm gone like one week in a month, two weeks a year, you know, doing my thing, staying Army strong. And so I, the very first time that this happened, like I kind of felt God's leading to maybe become a chaplain. We prayed about it as a family. And so I started into the paperwork. And then like all of a sudden, I'm before this, this board of officers and I'm raising my right hand and I'm like swearing into the army. And then just a couple of weeks later, I'm in a uniform with like the group that I'm the chaplain of. And, and I'm looking around going, how did this happen? Like, what am I doing here? They, they, they put me in a uniform, me. Like you guys hopefully have gotten to know me a little bit. That's crazy. And they stick me in uniform. And I remember going to my very first, like, battalion staff meeting, and it's like our commander and all the officers. And I'm looking around, and these guys, like, at least look legit. And they've got patches and badges and all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, where, what is going on? How did I get in here? And at the end, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these, but at the end, when the commander's done, he stands up, and everyone else stands up, and we salute him, and we say our battalion, like, like motto. In my very first battalion, we said, try to stop us. How cool is that? And I'm standing up, and like these guys, it's kind of humdrum, but I stand up, I'm like, try to stop us. Try to stop me. I've been in the army for like three minutes. Try to stop me. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't been anywhere. They just slapped me in a uniform, let me go. It's bizarre. And I'm looking around this room going, me? I'm here? I'm looking down at the, like, I've got a cross on my uniform. I'm, I'm an officer all of a sudden. I'm like, really? Me? Because I'm going to start to disqualify myself. I shouldn't be here. I, I don't know anything. I have no experience This might shock some of you, but I am no physical specimen. And so I'm going, I'm the last person that should be here. I I, I think of that when I see these guys following Jesus. He's like, you, I choose you, I pick you. You come with me. You're my disciple. 
They were disciples, not of Jesus. They were disciples of the man who would be the savior of the world. Fishermen, tax collectors, carpenters, doctors, just go with him. And I guarantee they're looking around going, how did this get to this? Like, what am I doing? Who? Jesus, what? And Jesus looks at them and he says, no, 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 I choose you. You will be a fisher of men. You will be a proclaimer of the kingdom. You will be a worker of miracles. You will be a healer of broken hearts. You, I choose you to be my disciple. You are picked. You are chosen. It's finished. Tick-tock, apostles locked. It's done. Stamped it. No erases. Jesus says it's finished. I choose you. You're my disciple. You're going to follow me. It's hard for us to look at that because many of us, Many of us are feeling that same very finger being pointed at us today. You, I pick you. I choose you. In fact, I know it in faith that God is calling some of you today into relationship with him to be one of his disciples. And we think, are you, re- are you sure? Really? Me? In all of us is this kind, of, this kind of anguish when somebody has done something for us. We just don't believe them that it's finished, that it's done. You get invited to a friend's house. They're like, hey, they give you a call. Come over on Friday. We're going to make dinner. We just want to spend time with you. There's going to be some other friends here, some people you know. We just want want our good friends together. Come and be with us. Come to our house. We're going to open. Stay as long as you want. We're going to have food. We're going to have a meal. We're going to sit around and we're going to talk. What's the first thing you do when you show up there? You go to the host. You go into the kitchen and you go, what do I need to do? How do I help you host me? What really needs to be done? And they're like, no, I've got it. And you're like, seriously, what, what do I, you haven't cooked anything, right? Because I'm here now and I'm going to cook it. You, you, I mean, sh- surely you don't have dishes. Let me go buy the dishes and, and, and I'll buy those. And, and we start to do this, this craziness when we go to people's houses. We show up and we go, really, it can't all be done. You can't be that ready for me. What do I need to do? Guys don't get going into the kitchen. What guys do is we walk into our buddy's house who's invited us over for a cookout, and we immediately, like mosquitoes drawn to flame, we go and we just stand by the, by the grill, and we just stare at it with him. Seriously, man, you need help with that? Aren't you going to flip it? What spices are you using? Oh, yeah, craftsman, yeah, Okay. You know, we look at it, and, and, and ladies, you don't know this about your husbands, but if they get called to a friend's house for a cookout and say that friend falls into the fire, they're not going to do anything for him. He will catch on fire and die. And he's going to take over grilling. That's what we do. Because surely our buddy doesn't have it together. And we say, that's what we do when we go to people's houses. What do I need to do? What do you need done? We always ask those. And it's not being polite. It's us thinking, surely you're not ready for me. Surely you can't handle this on your own. That's why you've invited me over. You don't want my company and friendship. You want me here to be with you to get it all ready and fixed. Correct, right? Isn't that what we do? So when Jesus says to his disciples, when Jesus potentially says to you, some of, him, some of you are already followers of Christ, some of you today are going to become followers of Christ, and he looks at you and he says, you, we start to go, no, 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 Jesus, you don't really mean me. It's not really, I'm not really picked to do, I'm not, it's not finished, is it, Jesus? We start to, 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 to make excuses for ourselves. And we say, Jesus, my life is a mess. My mind is scattered. My past, it's colorful. My heart, it's scarred. You can't really mean me. And Jesus breaks through all of that and he says, nope, 
you. I pick you to be a fisher of men. I, I pick you to be a proclaimer of the kingdom. I pick you to be a worker of miracles. You to be a healer of broken hearts. I pick you to be a disciple. I choose you. Picked. Stamped. No erases. Double stamp it. No more erases. It's chosen. It's done. Here's my response, all right? This may not be yours, but here's what I think. Even at that point, I go, really? This is this tension that a lot of us are in. And if we don't come to some resolve, this series has been a waste of time. Because we are trying to say, you are called to be disciples. And we start to go, no, nah, I can't, it doesn't really, not me, really, no, 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 no. So today, in a very short little bit of time together, I want to prove to you that Jesus has picked you. And I'm going to give you his statement, his, his statement, his clarifying word that says it's you. I pick you. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we follow him? What does that mean for us as we take message and mission to the world? What does that mean for you and I? I want us to hear that, and I'm going to leave you with this challenge. You can respond to what Jesus has done, or you can try to talk him and yourself out of it. It's what you're left with. But if we don't resolve this tension, we're never going to fully follow Christ and be his disciples. Let's forget this whole brand of being a Christian. We're not worried about it. We want you to be a disciple, because that is what changes your life and those around you in the world that you live in. We are called to do this. And following Christ is more than a name. We've been called for something more. And Jesus says clearly, clearly, that it's done. And if you want to see if I can give you proof, it's in the book of John. That's the fourth book in the New Testament. And John is one of these 12 disciples of Jesus. He was called by Jesus. In fact, amongst, out of all the 13, there were 12 disciples. Out of all the 12 disciples, there were three that were, that were like really close and spent time with Jesus. Out of those three disciples, there was one. And his name was John. And John was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. So it's important for us to maybe hear from that one disciple that's described as that. I think he loved the others, but John, that's how he is described. And in his version, in his writing of Jesus' life, in John 19, he shares this with us. And it's Jesus' final words on the cross. So what we're about to read is something that happened about 2,000 years ago this week. And Jesus on the cross chooses us. And one final statement. Let me read it for you. If you want to go to the book of John, John chapter 19, we're going to put it up on the screen as well. And in John 19, starting at verse 28, it says this. After this, this is Jesus has been put on the cross and nails have gone through his his flesh. He has been mocked. He has been beaten. He has a crown of thorns on him. All this is going on. So this is the after this. After he's been placed on the cross, hung up in humiliation before this crowd, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said, in parentheses, says, to fulfill Scripture, we'll talk about this later, I thirst. And then it says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And here's verse 30. This is where we really want to clue in, because this is Jesus making his decision for you and I. In verse 30, it says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head 
and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. This is Jesus's one phrase on us following him. If you're wondering, if you're trying to talk yourself or Jesus out of this decision, here's his answer. It's finished. It's done. I've made my choice. This is one of seven statements that Jesus says on the cross. And we think of Easter as the open tomb, or we think of this week leading up as the cross. And really what's profound for us to see is not just those two simple acts, but the words that Jesus says in between. And these seven words that he shares in the Gospels discussing, here's why I've done this. And he says them from the cross. In the U version notes, there's actually small group questions, and in there I've given all seven of those verses. So if you want to read those this week to just kind of hear from Jesus what he says on the cross, speaking to you, speaking to me. I've also put two books on there that I've read in preparation for this that were very encouraging for me, specifically about this one statement, it is finished. And they're there for you to to maybe link into, to find some encouragement, some hope from. But in these statements, these seven final statements, these last words of Jesus' life, he gives a full picture of what Easter really is, a full picture of what he's come to do. And he says, it's finished. It's finished. He is trying to break the tension that exists in me, that exists in you, of saying, I'm not worthy of this. I can't really be a follower. I can't really be a disciple. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't gone to church long enough. I'm not spiritual long enough. My past is too sordid. We start to say all those things, and Jesus is like, hold on, hold on. It's finished. The New Testament was actually not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so the, the original readers were, were reading in Greek. It's one of the languages that Jesus most likely knew. And so we see these, these words. And the Greeks, they're pretty full of themselves. And studying their language is probably the worst thing ever, all right? I can say that I'm part Greek. You guys have seen my body hair, all right? I like hummus, and I have lots of body hair, so I must be Greek. But in their language, they're kinda, they are kind of like to, to, to say more with less. So they have these words that can mean like 10 different things. And our Greek professors in, in college and seminary, what they loved to do to me was make me try to figure out what that word is. And it could mean like nine different things. And I'd be like, does it mean this? No. Does it mean this? No. It's the worst to try and figure out what it is. When Jesus speaks here, he actually doesn't say three words. It's actually one word, telestai. It's the Greek word for it is finished, telestai. And it's one of those words that with one word, it means so much. And here's the amazing thing. This is why it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. Instead of trying to figure out which specific definition, it actually means all of them. This word literally means everything that it could possibly be. When Jesus says telestai, when he says it is finished, He means everything that this word could possibly mean. It is a word so full of passion. It's so profound. It's so important for you and I. This word telestai, it means completed. It means to make an end. It means to pay tribute. It means to uh, accomplish. It means a preferred end. It means to reach a goal. It means to to reach the end of a trail. Jesus is saying all the things. It's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. I've paid it. It's finished. Telestai. Jesus is saying telestai about his own life. What he's come to do is complete. In this one word, telestai, in, in the three words we see, it is finished. Jesus is literally saying about himself the whole work of salvation, the purpose of why Jesus came to this world. It's completed. It's finished. It's done. 
It's over. It is finished. Telestai. It's a word that means so much. And I believe that if it means so much, it can do so much. And there's actually five really significant things that it does to help us realize what Jesus truly did on the cross. And when he said it is finished, he meant five really profound things. Let me give them to you real quick. The first thing that Jesus meant when he said it is finished is it, meant it, it, it finished the prophecies concerning himself. All of the prophecies concerning Jesus, they were finished. If we had time, and I wish we did, we'd dig into the Old Testament and we'd see time and time again that there are verses spoken from prophets thousands of years before Jesus was born speaking specifically about him. They said this is where he's going to be born. But not just the, the region, they gave the city. And they talked about the line, the descendants that he would come from. They said he was going to be born human. And not just of any human, he's going to be born of a virgin. And again and again, they even be, gave prophecies of how he was going to die. He was going to be pierced from the side. Not a bone was going to be broken before he died. Again and again and again, they laid out all of these prophecies. Many of them being fulfilled right in the same very verses we just read. Jesus says, it, I am thirsty. That was to fulfill a prophecy that he would thirst. Hundreds of prophecies specifically about Jesus were being fulfilled. And Jesus at the end says, it's finished. There's no more prophecies about me. You don't have to wait any longer. I, the Savior, have come. It is finished. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he also meant this. It finished the requirements that God had. We have a holy God. And this holy God has requirements. And because God is so holy and so righteous, he can't come near evil. And guess who's evil? Me. I am sinful. I am evil. It's been in me since I was born, and it remains in me today. You guys have seen that on display because I just sang a song by Carly Rae Jepsen. I am a sinful person. Me evil. And God can't come near. But here's the amazing thing about God. Before Jesus came, he loved people so much that he made a way for people to get closer to him. And he required a blood sacrifice to cover, the, the biblical word is atone, to atone for our sins, to cover our sins so we could get close to God. In fact, there's a whole day in the Jewish tradition called the Day of Atonement. And it's brutal. If you ever want to read about it, it's, it's in the book of Exodus. Oh, man. Mama, being, being a, a, a goat or a sheep or a cow back like with the Jews, man, that's not a good thing to do or be. Because you're going to get, it's going to happen. And on the Day of Atonement, like, they bring all these sheep to the temple, all these goats to the temple. They bring cows. They bring water buffalo, bison, woolly mammoths, pterodactyls. They bring them all to the temple, and all of them, kill, kill, kill. Blood, 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 blood. Because our sin is that great, and God's holiness is so amazing that the only way that we could get there is that to cover in blood. And Jesus, when he says, it is finished, he's saying, all of that, all of those sacrifices, no more. No more sacrifice has to be made for you and I to approach God. Jesus says, my blood, it covers. It covers their sin. It covers Joel's sin. Even when he sings stupid songs, it covers him. And now we have a relationship. It's an incredible act of a loving Savior who says, it's finished. It's completed. It's done. It's finished. But that's not the end there. When he says it's finished, it means something else. It means that the power of Satan is finished. The rest of the New Testament, we actually learn more about Satan. And it says that he's still moving about this earth. 
Satan, for many of us, we think Satan's like in hell right now. And he's on a throne of skulls. He's got a scepter of fire. And ACDC's playing, or One Direction. One of those are playing, and he reigns. He's got a bat on his shoulder, the pitchfork. That's not Satan at all. Satan is actually, according to the Bible, is moving and about. But here's the amazing thing. When Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying that, that, that Satan, he's a vanquished foe. He can roam about all he wants, but he doesn't have the bite that he used to. He still is going to try and deceive. He's still going to try and steal and destroy. But guess what? He is a defeated foe because it's finished. He has no bite. He is a viper that has no fangs. He's vanquished. He's done. And his time is coming. There'll be a time where he will be eternally thrown into chains. And he's not going to sit on a throne. He's going to sit in chains because Jesus on the cross said, it's finished. That guy's done. His work is over. Jesus says this. It's finished. The prophecies are finished. The requirements before a holy God, they're finished. The power of Satan, it's finished. But here's the amazing part. Then he says, it's finished. And he means our sin, it's finished. Jesus in one act, put our sins, my sins, your sins, all the evil that we've ever done and will do, he puts it upon his shoulders and he says, it's finished. The sin still exists because our bodies aren't perfected yet. That time's gonna come too. Just like Satan being chained away, those of us who are with Christ, we will be taken with him and we'll be in perfection and we'll sin no more, we'll cry no more, we'll hurt no more. But until that day, Jesus says, They're on my shoulders. I put them on my heart. I put them on my soul. That's why the cross was so agonizing for him because a person who had never had sin all of a sudden had every bit of sin that's ever been sinned placed upon him. And before we could speak of him and be like, hey, Jesus, don't, no, no, no. He says, it's finished. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. So Jesus says the prophecies are finished. The requirements of a holy God, they're finished. The power of Satan is finished. Our sin, it's finished. When Jesus says, telestai, it is finished, he also means what he came to do is finished. Twice in the book of John, the same book that we've just read from, Jesus says, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent him? God, his father. God sent Jesus on mission, and Jesus says here, that mission, it's done. I've come what I, to do what I was sent to do. I have reconciled sinful man and woman, with holy and righteous God through my act on the cross. It is finished. We can be near God now because of Jesus' sacrifice. So when he says, it is finished, he's saying, my mission, it's done. But here's the thing that we need to, to work through today. If Jesus says it's finished, all of these things, prophecies, God's requirements, power of Satan, power of sin, and, and his mission, well, who declares that now? That's where you and I come in. And I'm, I'm just going to toss this out here, okay? I'm not saying I'm right. I had a lot of donuts this morning. Drinking a lot of coffee. A little hyper. So I'm just going to toss this out. I think when his mission is done, that's where our mission begins. And the reason we struggle with that is because we're on the wrong side of the cross. We're on this side of the cross where we're thinking of all the things that, that should make us not be a disciple, and we start to think of all the things that we should do to earn favor with Jesus. Like, Jesus, since you're up there on the cross, taking all of my sin and all of humanity, what can I do for you? And Jesus says, it's finished. It's done. My mission is done. And now he's calling disciples, you and I, 
as strange as it may seem, as awkward as that calling is, as, as overwhelmingly unprepared we are, he's saying to us, it's you now. You're the mission. You're called to go. It's finished. It impacts everything from our salvation to our mission as disciples. And what we have to do today is get to the correct side of the cross and realize that there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. Salvation's been earned for us. Now we go on mission and share that with the world. And that mission doesn't affect what Jesus has already done. It's done. It's finished. It's completed. We have to stop trying to do things for Jesus to earn love, to earn his sacrifice, to earn salvation. It does not work. It will never work. Being a disciple is something that Jesus does in us so we can then go and do to this world. I read this, this quote um, and this is actually kind of what was the genesis for this whole sermon today. And I read this. is by a pastor out in St. Louis. His name is Darren Patrick. We're going to throw it up on the screen. It says this. Most people think that Christianity is spelled do. They look at the Bible. They look at the life of Christ. And they simply try hard to live like Jesus. So they start to go, I, 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 Jesus has done something, but, but what do I really have to do? What do you really need, Jesus? What do you really want from me? And we try to spell it by doing. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me, let me earn this. Let me make him love me more. But look at the other side of the, the, it says, really, Christianity is spelt done. It is what Christ has done that enables us to live a life of obedience. Friends, when you're trying to do to earn the cross, you're on the wrong side of it. It's done. It's completed. Jesus says, telestai. It's finished. What he says does is we get to go to the other side of the cross. So here's my big idea. I'm about to blow your mind with my big idea. It's this. When Jesus says it's finished, he means, guess what? It's finished. I know you guys love my depth. Remember Nehemiah? We pray and then we act. When Jesus says it's finished, he means it's finished. It's done. There's nothing that you have to do to make the cross more powerful. It's done. It's finished. Everything that Christ intended to do, it's done. It's finished. And now we go. If you've ever received a, a, a text message from me or a card, I still kick it old school and write cards. If you've ever gotten an email from me, if you follow me on Twitter, which really you shouldn't, it's, it's totally pointless and worth, you know, not worthy of your time. If you read my, my Facebook statuses that aren't thankful uh, posts, you'll notice that all of my, I, I put lots of exclamation points in. It's my favorite punctuation. My favorite one. It's way better than the, the semicolon, the period, the comma, the colon, the diphthong. It's way better than all of those. The exclamation point, it's the best. It's the best. And like if you were to come up and look at my notes, there's exclamation points everywhere. I love them. I always want to use exclamation points. And I think that's really why I didn't like studying Greek. Why I didn't like studying the New Testament Greek? Because the, the New Testament in Greek, there are, there is no punctuation. It's terrible to read. The New Testament is just one run-on sentence. Like, wrap it up already. We're reading Paul? I thought this was James. I don't know when to stop. You just keep going. They don't put any punctuation in. But I think, because I'm right, right, that when Jesus said, it is finished, there's an exclamation point. I really think so. 
in my English Bible, there's a period, it's wrong. The exclamation point, it is finished. It was actually probably a shout, a scream, telestai, exclamation point. And you know why the exclamation point is there? It's there for you and for me. This is our calling to be disciples, to be the exclamation point on what Jesus has done. We can't do it. Only he can. We can't earn it. He has earned it. It is done. Exclamation point. That's where we come in. We're the exclamation point. I don't have to prove anything about Jesus to anyone. I don't have to overwhelm them with knowledge. I don't have to go to church for a certain amount of time. I don't have to read the Bible a certain amount of time a day to be a disciple. I'm a disciple because it's done. It's finished. It's complete and I am the exclamation point. You are the exclamation point. We now go forth into this world and say, that is all that we need to tell you about. Jesus died for me. He died for you. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Exclamation point. Now receive what he's offered to you. It's a gift of eternity. It's a gift of love. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of life, not just heaven, but life now that means something and does something and fills us with purpose and joy and peace exclamation point. We are called to be disciples, not Christians, disciples, people who Jesus says, you, I choose you. We're like, I know it's not, it shouldn't be me. I'm not worthy. Yes, you, I pick you. I want you. I'm calling you. And there's nothing that you have to earn for this. It's all been earned for you by the work of Christ. I choose you to go and tell. I choose you to live that out. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Easter. That's the power of Jesus looking to you and to me saying, I want you to be a disciple. And your job is to tell what's already been done. For it is finished. Tell us die. Praise Jesus for that. You guys, if you know me well enough, you know that only I could take 35 minutes to talk about three words in the Bible. So I'm going to shut up in a second. We're going to worship. It's Easter week. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And we're going to worship. We're going to sing together. We're going to let our wonderful, amazing worship pastor, Josh, on his last Sunday, come and lead us out into Easter week with the exclamation point that it's Jesus and Jesus alone who changes lives. And I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna worship too because I wanna sit under my worship pastor one last time. And here's the thing. As much as I wanna sing right now, there's nothing more important to me than talking to you about Jesus. So as awkward as it is, I'll be right down here. Come and find me. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you need somebody to talk to you about Jesus, be honored to do so. We have some other pastors in this room. We have elders in this room who would love to talk with you. This is time for us to do work. What a great way to start Easter by saying, I received what Jesus has done. I can't earn it. I've been trying my whole life. I can't do it. I've finally seen because of the heart of the gospel that it's finished, it's done. We're gonna baptize people next Easter, next week on Easter. Why not you? Why not you to receive that? Maybe it's to, to, to receive a calling more into to a life of being a disciple. Whatever it is, if you need to come and pray, if you need to get together with members of your small group and pray, that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take time and sing and worship this Jesus who says it is finished. We get the joy of doing it one last time with 
a man who is more than a pastor to me, more than a friend. He's a brother to me. And I can't, I'll tell you, the one thing that's been asked of me all week long, what are we going to do now that Josh is gone? I'm going to tell you the same thing I told our students on Wednesday night. Next Sunday, we're going to get together and we're going to sing to Jesus. It has no meaning bearing who's behind this microphone. It's Jesus. Here's the, here's the little secret about Josh. He is a mediocre worship pastor. He's an okay person. And that's all right because I'm, I'm a really bad person and a really bad pastor. So it's okay for me to say it because he's way light years ahead of me. But the thing that makes Josh's worship powerful is not Josh. It's Jesus. It's him who says it is finished, it's done, it's completed. The cross is it. That's where Josh's power as a worship leader comes from. That's where my power as a pastor comes from. It's finished, it's done, it's completed, it's over. So if you're here at this church because the music's really good, it's gonna let you down one day. If you're here because of a person, that person is gonna let you down one day. You can follow Josh up the road to his new church because he's the one that you wanna hear. He's gonna let you down one day. The one who won't is Jesus because Jesus, not Josh, not Joel, not anyone in this room said, it is finished. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your love, your deep, deep love. And what the cross truly means, we don't have to earn, we don't have to buy, we don't have to to please you. God, it's done. All we simply do is receive. And God, today in this room, there are hearts that are being broken by your Holy Spirit because they know they've never reached out and received that free gift of Jesus. May today be their day of salvation. There's many of us in this room, God, who have not faithfully lived out. We've been being a Christian. And God, we know we're we're supposed to be a disciple. Help them reach out and say, I want to be a disciple. Help us as we pray as we live life together as a body of Christ and as we worship your son, Jesus Christ, who said so powerfully, so passionately, but so intimately loving to each one of us, tell us die, it's finished. We lift high the name of Christ today. Amen and amen.